0: Good morning. We are on our last week uh, in our remnant series uh, dealing specifically with the reality we find ourselves in. Um, Next week we're going to move on to another four-week segment of this series that deals more with what kind of people should we be as we find ourselves in remnant status in our culture um, it, 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 if you're using our study guide, you'll, you'll see it, it breaks down this way. In fact, I just want to encourage you, if you're not using the accompanying study guide, it's still not too late to get one of those. You can just get it out at the uh, small group kiosk. Um, after service and follow along each week uh, with the messages and you'll get a lot more out of what's being said. But we're gonna get into, starting next week, what is called the remnant pillars. Um, These messages deal with what kind of people should we be as we find ourselves in remnant status in our culture? Um, How do we show restraint in a culture that's so unrestrained? Uh, How do we, you know, do civility in a culture that's not very civil anymore? Steve Deneff is coming on October 22nd. He's gonna talk on integrity and beyond. And anyway, that's where we're going in the series of messages on the next few weeks. Uh, Right now, we're dealing with the reality that we find ourselves in, and and, and this is the last message um, specifically on that topic. Um, Christianity has been removed from mainstream culture by and large. this has been going on for a long time. Um, I want to give you some data that kind of verifies that this is indeed the case. Uh, It's from the book Rise of the Nuns. Um, Nuns is just a label that's given to people who say, I have zero religious affiliation. That means they don't have any background. They weren't raised. They don't have any familiarity with the terminology. They know nothing about uh, the Christian faith whatsoever. Uh, uh, Over the years, surveys have been done um, trying to pull that number out in the culture at that time. Back in 1940, 5% said they were a nun. They had no religious affiliation whatsoever. Now, these people still may be spiritual, but they just aren't Christian. They just don't have uh, any understanding of, uh, of Christian doctrine. Well, in 1990, some 50 years after that, that number rose to 8%, so it went up 3%. Now, here's what's interesting. From 1990 all the way to 2015 now, it's gone up to 22%. People say in this country, I don't even know who Jesus is. Don't know anything about the Bible. Couldn't give you any characters out of the Bible. No basic theology out of the Bible would know nothing. Here's an alarming number. In those 30 years and younger right now, self-professed nuns are 30%. One in three of our young people have no familiarity whatsoever with Christianity. Where they get their perceptions from are the media. That's scary, isn't it? That's the blind leading the blind. So there, there's one concrete indicator of, of, of the loss of influence of the Christian faith in our culture. There's another, I think, big indicator of the decline of in, uh, the influence of Christianity, and, and, and it's this. By and large, the church, churches like ours, the Baptist Church down the road, the Methodist Church down the road, whatever church you want to put into this category, by and large, has lost its influence on its members. Now, here's what I mean by that. People don't necessarily live out the beliefs during the week. They may come to church and say, oh, good service and all that. But then they go home and they live a very personalized faith is what we're finding. Uh, They do what they think is right in their eyes. They kind of have a God of their own making thing going on. Um, I talked on this last week in the Old Testament days of Jeremiah, the prophet. uh, It was the custom of that culture and it was the practice of the nations at that time for people to make idols and then they would have this God of their own making and follow that God. We're very much like that right now, guys. We go home and we kind of say, this is how I think God should be. This is how I'm going to treat God. But God has been revealed to us by the Bible, right? And we have to come to him as he is, not as we want to make him out to be. But this is just illustrative, again, of the loss of the influence of Christianity in our culture. When the church loses its former position, it faces some temptations. I want to talk on these with you for a few moments. I've talked on two of these already, uh, so I'm just going to cover them briefly this morning, Then the third one's going to lead into the message today. But oftentimes, the temptation that we have to really watch out for is resistance in the wrong way of what's going on. Resistance in the wrong way. Um, Now listen, the best gift that you're going to give to culture that's far gone from God is to love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen? And if you don't know what that means, and listen closely as the service unfolds. Because if we're not authentic, real hardcore followers of Christ, then we really have nothing to offer. Okay? So what we have to resist here in culture is becoming like the world. We have to resist the you know, mindless adoption of value systems that are unbiblical. We have to be in the world, but we can't be of the world. We have to have a distinctly Christian worldview based on scripture and the revelation of scripture to us and we have to be all about jesus christ okay we have to be really really dogmatic that way in a good way wrong resistance looks like this i'm really mad about my loss of influence grumbling and anger and withdrawal wrong resistance often looks like in the christian community uh, uh, trying to recapture a former era and bring it into this time you find yourself in saying if it was just like that now it would be a better day. It's the faithful remnant of God. We always have to ask God, what are you up to right now? And what are you asking me to do right now in this moment I find myself in? I talked on this last week, and it, but when the church uh, loses its its place, the temptation of relevance aimed at popularity becomes a real issue. Relevance aimed at popularity. We can think, well, we'll just adapt some of these cultural things and we can be popular once again and this will put us back in the place of relevance. I, I think we can learn something about relevance from the um, parable of the prodigal told by Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus told this parable about a lost son. This, this, this younger son of this, of this man came to him, of the, of the father came to him and said, I want my inheritance right now. And that was an audacious act. Uh, ask probably would be something where all the elders of that time would go, wow, that was just so wrong for that young person to even ask his father for, for that inheritance. But then the amazing thing is the father gives it to him. And we're told in this parable by the Lord Jesus that this young man then goes out and squanders all this wealth on righteous living and, and prostitutes and all that kind of thing. He just does what's totally wrong. And then he gets to the end of the wealth, and now he's poor, and he's, 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 he's just eking out a living there and not doing very well. And he thinks to himself, even the servants in my father's household have it better than me. I'm going to go back to dad and ask for forgiveness. And at least I could be a servant in his house. Well, he goes back, and we know the story. It's wonderful because the father represents God. He comes running to this lost one, and he embraces him. He says, my son, who I thought was dead, is alive. And he was really grateful, and the son drew back to the family as a son. But but get this. Here's, Here's where relevance kicks in here just a little bit. That father models for us something that we need to understand as a remnant of God. He stayed home, so to speak. He didn't... Chase after the sun he didn't try to become like one of the son's friends. He stayed home and he kind of minded home he kept home going he kept the, the business alive or whatever you want to say um, in, in, in our in our perspective, he kept the theological store open. we could say you know we as as a, as, as a group of people that find ourselves in the time we find ourselves in, we have to stay true to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to mind a the theological source. There has to be a home for wayward people to come to that, that they'll experience authentic life change in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to understand the primary importance of, of that right now. You're getting what I'm saying here? As a remnant of God, finding ourselves in a time such as this, it is of great importance that we stay faithful to Jesus Christ so people have a place to come home to and find the love of God. Amen? This is incredibly, incredibly important. When the church loses its place, we who are followers of Jesus can face a temptation of despair, of despair. Um, This is going to launch us into the message today. But despair happens... When you know you're losing an argument, even though you're right, the ones you're arguing with aren't listening anyway, and you can say, ah, but I'm right. But despair can happen when you know, no matter how much I argue with you, you, I'm not going to change your mind. Um, I, I don't know how many of you went to Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage conference here the last couple of days. I thought it was quite interesting and quite good. Um... He didn't talk on this much. I thought he might have talked on this, but you know what happens oftentimes is couples get into fights, and when they fight, there's this tendency, especially when you think you're right, to get louder. It's like you think the person has a hearing problem, and if I just say it louder, they will get it. It's an understanding issue, usually. It's not a loudness issue. And so when we are misunderstood by culture and we get louder, they just ignore us more and think they're more right. And then there's that tendency to get angry and try to speak over, you know, your mate or your opponent, whoever you're fighting with. And we got to resist that kind of despair manifestation because that's what it is. We're despairing, so we're manifesting it in that way. Now, another way despair is manifested is by withdrawal. This is the holy cluster that you see so frequently kind of endorsed. Uh, the world's a big bad place. Let's just cluster up here and we'll keep that all that garbage out there. And that's just not a good way to approach um, this problem of being the remnant. It's not the way to approach it. Think about education with me for just a few moments, because this has been a little bit of the approach of education, especially in the Christian uh, uh, standpoint. So education in our land begins as a very kind of God-centered thing when the country was first formed. Even the public education institutions were very Christian in nature. But as time unfolded, as history unfolded, there was a move away from the centrality of God and Christ in education. So... Christians, in response to the loss of this in their lives, compensated by creating what? Christian alternatives. Christian grade school, Christian. You know, high school, Christian colleges. And I'm not against any of that stuff, okay? But it's just an observation I'm making. And so what was going on there was a, a, a sense of loss. Now, the, now, we're no longer the dominant influence here. We're not, we're not in the main body of the page here. So let's create our own over here where we can now be what? The main body, the influencers. And it's almost like a compensation mechanism to what was lost, And it's almost like it was done more out of despair at times than out of vision. Now, I'm not saying that the Christian institutions all do this, okay? But we have to watch out that that's not the motivating reason for doing this and we became holy cluster people. And we have a Christian version now of a a thing in the world that we feel like we're missing out on. There has to be a a real earnest thinking about what are we doing this for and why, okay? Okay. I went to a Christian college and got a Bible degree and I'm not anti any of that, all right? So I just want to make that super clear. But the reasoning for it has to be clear because a lot of holy clustering happens as a mechanism to try to recreate something we feel we've lost in the world. And that's not a good reason for doing it. Despair looks to escape. Steve Deneff shared in his... uh, writings at one point in his life he had to go to the dentist for some work and I'm not going to be I'm not anti-dentist I want to say that but this evidently caused him to experience some despair so the night before he prayed he said in all earnestness for the rapture now some of you know what I mean by that the rapture is that time when Jesus comes back and catches up his church and brings him home and brings his bride home, his people home. So he was so despairing that he tried to what? Escape. God, please come tonight. Any of you ever been there facing something real tough? I have to be honest. I've had moments where I said, please come, Jesus. Please come. Because I don't want to face tomorrow because it's so difficult. And I just want to be caught up in heaven. And, and that's escaping. And, and, and then that we have to watch out because that's a temptation that we face sometimes. That's, again, a despair manifestation. The, here's the problem with despair despair can keep you from God's mission for you. And what's God's mission for his people? To engage the world with the message of Jesus Christ. To engage the world with the message of Jesus Christ. Well, what's the message of Jesus Christ? That, you know, we're all sinners, right? And we're lost and we can have salvation in God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we're uh, thinking we're losing the argument, when we're withdrawing, when we're forming holy clusters, if we're looking to escape, we're probably not really engaging with those around us and seeing their need of Jesus Christ. Now, as a follower of God, you and I, we have a lot of similarities going on in our time that Jeremiah... The ancient prophet experienced in his time on the one hand in Jeremiah's days things look kind of bleak don't things kind of look bleak every now and then here now on the other hand Jeremiah was espousing and and, uh, proclaiming a message of hope that in God there's hope and this is gives us this remnant dynamic I want to talk about with you A, a reality of being a remnant this remnant dynamic is this in the margins you'll find yourself in the middle of a desperate situation that can seem final at times. Yet you are a part of God's plan. You are part of God's plan for a future and a hope. That's an interesting dynamic. You can look around and say, it looks pretty bleak. But yet, at the same time, you're part of God's plan for a future and a hope. Jeremiah experienced what it means to be stuck in the middle like this. On the one hand, he spoke with optimism of what God would do for the Israelites, but in their day and their time, they were going to be ca- uh, captured by the ancient superpower, uh, uh, the Babylonians. Listen to this hope that Jeremiah espouses in the middle of this captivity taking place. It's found in Jeremiah chapter thirty-two, verses thirty-six through forty-one. You are saying to the city by the sword, famine and plague, it will be given into the hands of the king of Babylon. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banished them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will then go well for them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them and i will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me i will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul that's a pretty cool word isn't it this is, word is taking place in the midst of despair in the midst of babylonian captivity now previously in jeremiah 29 we're told that they would go into captivity for 70 years so this comes after uh, that captivity Declaration by Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, you're going to be carried off into captivity for 70 years, but then God's going to bring you back. Now in Jeremiah 32, he says, hey, you're going to be an everlasting covenant with God. This is pretty cool stuff. This is pretty optimistic stuff. And God stays true to his word, I think, more than we often realize. I mean, the Israelites, after 70 years in captivity to the Babylonians, they were taken back to the land, just like his promise said. Now, they were once again dispersed. It took a little while after that to be dispersed again. But then some 2,000 years later, what happened to Israel? Come on, we saw it in 1948. What happened to Israel? One of a kind. Born again, amen? It just doesn't happen. But that's how faithful God is to his promises and to his word. And not only did he do that for Israel, it was amazing. He's also brought about this everlasting covenant. It's a person of Jesus Christ. Now through faith in Jesus Christ, we could be an everlasting covenant with our God, amen? And his blessings flow in our lives. Isn't this cool? And we see the faithfulness of God. So Jeremiah's saying all this, and he's predicting all this, but at the same time he's facing the reality of the situation going on. They're being carried off by the Babylonians. He says this in Jeremiah 32, verses 1 through 5. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. The army of the king of Babylon was then besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was confined in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace of Judah. Now Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him there, saying, why do you prophesy as you do? You say, this is what the Lord says, I'm about to give the city into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he will capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, will not escape the Babylonians but will certainly be given into the hands of the king of Babylon and will speak with him face to face and see him with his own eyes. He will take Zedekiah to Babylon where he will remain until I deal with him, declares the Lord. If you fight against the Babylonians, you will not succeed. So Jeremiah was a realist. He was saying, this is going to happen. This is the reality of our times. And because he was saying such hard things, King Zedekiah said, I'm putting in prison, you buddy. I'm tired of hearing you. So here you had this prophet in prison for speaking of the present reality that they were facing, but he was also talking of the future hope that they had. Talk about being stuck in the middle, huh? Stuck in the middle between a hard place and another hard place. Uh, The church LBA, local board of administration, and our staff are doing a book right now called Broken and Whole. It's an interesting read. I love what the author said about the reality of, of the life of the believer leader. He said this. I found this interesting because it parallels what I'm sharing with you this morning. He said this: They expect to experience both transformative redemption. That means this great work of Jesus Christ deep in your heart, change in you, and continue brokenness in the generation, a lifetime. You expect to experience this wonderful move of God, this transformative, redemptive, born-again experience in Jesus Christ, right? You expect to re- to experience it, but at the same time, you know you're broken, and the world's broken, and things are not as they should be, and you're going to experience that in your generational lifetime. It's the best of times. It's the worst of times. This got in the middle is a predicament we all, I think... Can relate to. Songs are written about being caught in the middle. I was thinking of this goofy song when I was putting this message together. It's the 1972 Steeler's Wheel song. I'm just going to read to you the course Clowns to the left of me. Some of you already know it. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Deep theology there, isn't it? What do you do when you're stuck in the middle? You don't give in to despair. You don't look at the world and say, a big bad place and I just give up because that's not God's plan for you and me and for his people. We're to be a redemptive agent to our culture. We're to be full of the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't be despairing. We can't be cursing the world. We can't be saying, to the hell with the world. We have to be the agents of Christ to the world we find ourselves in. We can't just ignore the situation either, though, and be these blind optimists and say everything's rosy and dandy and I don't believe it and and being optimistic because God says the prudent person foresees the danger that lies ahead and plans accordingly. And I'm never opposed to optimism, but blind optimism isn't the answer either. God seems to give us some instruction on how we should engage and how we should Uh, live when we find ourselves stuck in the middle. It's found in Jeremiah uh, chapter uh, 32, verses 6 through 15. I'm not going to read that to you. I think it'll appear behind me maybe, and maybe not. I don't know. Um, You can read it over my shoulder, or you can read it in your Bible uh, later on today. But basically what what happens here is God gives a word to the prophet Jeremiah, and he says, you know, your relative's going to come to you, your cousin uh, Hanamel, and he's going to offer you some land, buy the land. Get the deed. Get another deed that you could sell it down in the future, but buy this land. Why would God say all this, and why would God have Jeremiah, in the middle of everything that's going on, buy some land from his cousin Hanamel? I think what is happening here, and this brings us to a big kind of, Right course of action when we find ourselves stuck in the middle, when we find ourselves in this remnant status, is this we're not to despair about the times we find ourselves in. We're not to have this blind optimism either. We're supposed to continue to engage. We're supposed to continue to trust that God is in this thing and God is, is moving. Um, you know, um, basically, on the one hand, Jeremiah is facing this really bleak situation. They're going to be carried off into Babylonian exile. But at the other hand, there's this wonderful promise of restoration and hope that is going on. It, 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 so God says, be illustrative of, 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 of this hope, Jeremiah, that, uh, that this Babylonian exile is not the final word. Um, demonstrate what the Israelites had to do. Buy this land, get a deed for it, have a deed ready for selling it again, indicating we're going to come back here. This 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 Babylonian captivity—that's not the final line of the story. There's much more story uh, to be written, and God, God told him to be illustrative of this, to to get this perspective across to the people. And here's what I think we really need to get this morning: just get this. God is basically saying to Jeremiah, "Do you see yourself? Do you see the remnant as a link from the past to the future?" Do you see yourself that way? You need to see yourself that way. You need to see yourself as this critical link from past to future. Now, as we find ourselves in remnant status, we have to understand that we are a critical link that God wishes to use that links past to future. We're not the end component. We're not the final line of a Christian movement in our country or something like that. We're the first component of a new move, I think, that God's going to do. Do you understand that? Do you see the difference? Because if you think, oh, everything's just going bad, everything's terrible, and we're the few remaining, and we're just going to hold on here, you know what? You're going to live a life of despair. But if you realize God is doing a new work in a a new way in a new time here, and we're the first component of it. It gives you a different kind of outlook on what's transpiring in our culture. So here's our big thought this morning. Remnants link from the past to the future. They're not people just holding on, but rather forward-looking people. They're often God's first component of building for the future. As a remnant status person... You're the first of what God's up to. It may not feel that good. It may not even feel great because the world around us can be seemingly pretty bleak. But listen, in the remnant situation, we have to depend on God. We can't depend on influence and structure power. Things like political power, we can't depend on having, you know, the upper arm or whatever. We have to cry out to Jesus Christ. If we're a faithful remnant, we become part of God's first component for building to the future. I mean, this is all over in the Bible. Joseph in the Old Testament is illustrative of this. So Joseph, the dude that had the many-colored coat given to him uh, by his father, and his brothers sell him into slavery out of envy, ends up in Egypt, and basically there is imprisoned when he's falsely accused of sexual advances against his master's wife. But God raises him up to second in command of all of Egypt. I know we know the story of Joseph. Most of us do, okay? Okay i'm sure that joseph longed to go back to the good old days i'm sure he wished i could be at my father's house i wish i could be back in canaan i wish i could have my coat of many colors i wish i could have that same status i used to have but that was then and he was moved into something new that god was doing he was the first component of a new move of god in the ancient israelites because famine was coming on the land god knew this joseph was a forerunner the first to go into the land of egypt So that he could be positioned to save the remnant, to save his family, Israel, from destruction. Amen? And his brothers come to him, and he can provide them with food. And there's a bunch of wonderful storylines to the life of Joseph. But one of them we got to understand was he was God's forerunner, the first component. And he at one point said, you meant this for harm, but God meant it for good, for the saving of many. He saw the new move that God was up to as things begin to unfold. Listen, we're the first components. I'm looking at a bunch of first component people here. And we have to begin to understand that we must move forward to the future. We have to move forward in the future. We have to ask God, what are you up to? We don't try to go back to what has been. We don't, try to, we don't withdraw from culture. We don't try to recreate some Christian version of what's going on right now uh, because we think we're missing out. We don't try to escape. We are called to be the faithful remnant of folk who love Jesus Christ, who are focused on him, that are staying home so that when people come, they see authentic, real People walking really with Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do, to be that first component. Amen? It's more exciting than thinking with the last or something, isn't it? And so I'm going to end with that thought this morning. I want to give you two uh, questions to ponder. Will you think years ahead? Will you begin to think differently? Don't just be in the moment. Think of God, what are you up to here generationally? What are you doing? Secondly, With this perspective, what do you invest your life into? What are you about? At this point, we're going to prepare for communion, and that's how we're going to end the service this morning. Like I said, next week, we're going to turn the corner, and we're going to go into these remnant pillars. And we're going to get more down to the nitty-gritty of what kind of people should we be in the times we find ourselves in. I think you're going to find it pretty fascinating. Um, At any rate, God's good, amen? I, I just, this, what I'm sharing with you is so important. I mean, I'm trying to, I, some, some have even questioned me, why are we doing so much talk about this remnant reality, you know, and all this? And Because if you don't understand the times you're in, you don't understand what God is up to. You won't even ask that question. And so partly what I'm trying to do is just say, let's just come to grips with the times we're in, all right? And then let's ask God, what is up to? But remember, everything we're about is Jesus Christ, isn't it? We're about Him and following Him and loving Him, okay?